Welcome back to the Battleship Apologetics season of creation. Today we're talking with Jason Jimenez of Reshift Ministries. He's our special guest today. Jason, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. I was you, glad Jason. to be with you guys. Hey, tell us real quick about Reshift Ministries. Yeah, Reshift Ministries basically is a ministry that's devoted to Christians who tend to be biblically illiterate, so they don't understand kind of maybe what they ought to believe, and in that, they struggle in how to defend their faith in the culture that we're living today. So we do three primary things. We help Christians defend the faith, uh, restore their families, and help get involved uh, in, the, in the culture that they live in. That's beautiful, that's man. Wonderful. Very cool. Well, we've been talking a lot about the resurrection on our show today, yeah. and why are skeptics saying that the resurrection never happened? Mm, that's a good question. Well, the reason why a skeptic would say that the resurrection has never happened is because if, in fact, the resurrection occurred, that there was a, a literal and physical resurrection of Jesus, that would not just imply, but that would point emphatically that not only does God exist, but that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Mm -hmm. And then all the things that Jesus taught would therefore be true. So that's why skeptics try and try through the centuries since the, the resurrection of Jesus, try to not only deny, but push aside the evidence. Because if Jesus Christ rose from the dead, then he is in fact God. Mm -hmm. Yeah, okay, so here we have a lot of atheists, a lot of skeptics saying the resurrection didn't happen, and yet we've been talking. It's like there, there's so much evidence, it seems. You travel and speak on this. How would you uh, categorize for us? Give us some framework of all the different evidences that are out there for the resurrection of Christ. Mm -hmm. Well, ab absolutely. I, I, and, and because we have limited time, I'll help, help by, by giving you guys an acrostic that I came up with when I go around and speak on this topic. Because there is actually overwhelming evidence that people uh, looked at it. So an easy way to kind of walk away and understand the evidence uh, to the resurrection is let's consider the word risen. And let's, and let's break it down as an acrostic. R stands for the record of Jesus' death. I stands for the internment of Jesus, which means the embodiment that he was buried mm. in the tomb. S stands for the significant appearances. E stands for the extraordinary conversions of his people, the followers of Jesus, when they went from disciples to apostles. And N stands for the new life and message. So well, we could break those things down if you want, Eric, and kind of see the overwhelming evidence to each one of those points. Absolutely. Yes, I mean, this is wonderful. great. Get, hit, hit us up with some of your favorites in those categories. Well, the key thing is it, you can't have a resurrection without the death of Jesus Christ. So first, what we have to do is we have to prove historically speaking, that Jesus Christ, in fact, died a physical death. So what we know when we look at the record of Jesus' death, the crucifixion assures death, mm -hmm. hands down. Jesus suffered great drops of blood, though, before that. This is a, a, a medical term known as hematitrosis, where literally his capillaries were bursting, and he was suffering intense uh, magnitude of pain mm -hmm. physically from top to bottom. He was losing Incredible. blood, so basically his body was going in, in, in shock, if you will. So, so then he goes into the beating uh, with the Roman soldiers. A crown of thorns was placed on his head, mm -hmm. and he was whipped and flogged, as we know. And then he was taken to the cross, and he was nailed to the cross. Yeah. That was six hours of excruciating wow. pain that Jesus endured. Each wow. hour made it harder for him to breathe. And, and literally, crucifixion... Um, was, was, it was a torturous procedure to kill criminals, but they would ultimately die from asphyxiation. So hence, 
when you have uh, both of your arms stretched wide and you're nailed and you're applying pressure on, on, the, on, the, on the tip of your feet to apply pressure by raising yourself to breathe in and then you would collapse again. So eventually Jesus, you know, was having a hard time breathing and that's why they would come at the end of the day to break their knees so they wouldn't be able to rise up again and take a yeah. breath. But Jesus, what we know is before they did that, he had already, he had already died. So he had, and the Bible says in Luke 23, 46, that he had breathed his last. Mm -hmm. Another thing that confirmed his death, though, if that wasn't enough, was that Roman soldiers before uh, taking him down from the cross. Now, we've got to remember, this is Jesus. He stirred a lot of, of, of uh, chaos. He <laughs> created a lot of riots because people were opposing him, even though he was doing it peacefully. But he was doing a lot of miracles, performing a lot of miracles, and they were very concerned because a man who was performing miracles and prophetically laying claim that he is the Messiah also said that in three days he would rise from the dead. Mm. So they were very concerned before they hand over his body to Joseph of Arimathea, Pontius Pilate wanted to ensure okay, that he was dead. So they always made sure that their criminals were dead before they were taken down from the cross. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But Jesus even more so. So the validation came when the Roman put a spear to Jesus' side, and we're told that water and blood flew, you know, came forth from his side, which basically means that the pericardium of his heart was already filled with this saturation, uh, which is pericardial, pericardial effusion. So that was an indication that Jesus had already died. So literally, Jesus died of a broken heart. Mm -hmm. Yeah, literally, wow. the, the, the blood and the water literally had already separated there. Mm -hmm. Wow. Right. Okay, so he was definitely dead. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he was definitely dead. Okay. And, and then we have the internment. Yeah, the internment of Jesus is important now because you don't bury someone who's not dead, right? And the other <laughs> no. thing that we have to confirm, because the Bible, again, what we're doing is everything I'm already telling you guys right now, not only do we as Christians hold to this clearly because the Scriptures teach and we believe the Scripture to be true, mm -hmm. but we also have extra biblical sources that mm -hmm. validate and verify these pieces of evidence as yeah. well. So, so far, uh, both the skeptics... Uh, and many atheists and liberal scholars, as you guys well know, they hold to these same pieces of evidence because they're overwhelming. They, they're, mm -hmm. they're undeniable. And so even when we get into the interment of Jesus, the sealed tomb, uh, these are also facts that people do not deny either. And that is that Jesus was buried in an identifiable tomb. It was the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. Now, he was an unlikely character. So that is what the Gospels tell us. Why would they mention who was once an enemy of Jesus, but then saying that, hey, he said he was going to rise from the dead, and we're, we're going to say in our gospel accounts of Jesus that we put him in a tomb, which was verifiable, that people can go mm -hmm. and verify for themselves whether or not Jesus Christ was still there or not. So that's important, is that the tomb that Jesus was sealed in was a tomb that we knew. The tomb was also sealed and guarded by Roman soldiers, which caused some ruckus that people can identify with that. The women were the first witnesses to the empty tomb, spreading the news. In those days, as we know, you don't refer to women first before men because women were second class. And plus, we, were, we don't even use them in courts, but the Gospels were staying true to the evidence of what had occurred, the facts, if you will. And they say that the women went to the sealed tomb first and found it to be empty. Jesus' grave clothes and linens remained there, but his body was not there. The Roman soldiers reported this to the religious leaders, and they paid them off not to have this, this uh, spread that they said they would basically handle it. So the, the women not only uh, verified the empty tomb, but so did the Roman soldiers who were supposed yeah. to guard it. Mm -hmm. And then the disciples, we see in multiple accounts of the attestation, that they denied 
this. They didn't believe the women, and yet so they went to go verify it for themselves, and then we're told, and then they believed. So you have this, if you take all these pieces of evidence to this sealed tomb, we, we see that Jesus Christ was buried in Joseph of, of Arimathea's tomb, meaning that it was, you can locate it, you, can, you know where it was at. That's important because some of the different theories say that it was, uh, we didn't know where the tomb was or the, or the women or the disciples went to the wrong tomb or mm-hmm. they were hallucinating or they were crying, they were emotional, it was dark, they didn't know where they were going and they just assumed, they walked upon and stumbled upon a, a, an empty tomb and said, oh, Jesus rose from the dead, which we know is, is not the case. Right. So that... So the interment of, 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 uh, of Jesus is, is an important piece. Mm-hmm. Now, the other one is S, which stands for significant appearances. This is very significant because we are told that Jesus first and foremost appeared to Mary Magdalene. And then he appeared to Mary Magdalene. He appeared to Mary and other women. Then Jesus appears to Peter. Now, if you've already been seeing this, this wasn't just uh, he appeared to one person like Peter or Mary Magdalene. And then they went and told of the post-resurrection appearances of Jesus and then started Christianity from that. When you look at other world religions, that's the case. Mm. They have one vision and then out of their vision they tell the rest of the world, right? Mm-hmm. And in the case of Christianity, and if you go back to 1 Corinthians 15, the Bible says do the faith either stands or falls on the resurrection. If the resurrection yes. didn't occur, then everything that we're doing here, your guys' show and everything else, is, is just futile. It's, right. it's lame, it's, it's in vain, but that's not the case. Not only did Jesus appear to Mary Magdalene, but he appeared to women, but then he also appeared to Peter, and then he also appears to Cleopas and Mary on the road to Emmaus, and then Jesus appears to his, his ten uh, disciples, and then also to Thomas, who doubted, and mm-hmm. showed him physically his wounds, and then he appears to James, who was not a believer, then he appears to over 500 witnesses, and he appears to Saul of Tarsus on the road to Damascus, who then is converted yeah. to faith. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you, what, you, know, you can have a couple people maybe hallucinating about the appearances of Jesus, right, in dreams or whatever, and being emotional about it. But you can't have hundreds of people seeing the same resurrected no. Jesus and his same body that he lived before the death and resurrection. Yeah. So that's, that right there is, is amazing. And by the way, many people like John Dominic Cross and people at the Jesus Seminar and Robert Funk, they don't deny that. They have a hard time trying to rule out these appearances. Now, if that's not enough, then you get into E of the, of the acrostic risen, which stands for extraordinary conversions. How on earth do you explain Thomas who goes to, who's, who's doubting publicly to the resurrection of Jesus, despite the fact that he prophetically said that he would rise on the third day, come to belief and say, my Lord and my God, the disciples are locked in the room, scared out of their mind with the, what the Romans were going to do and, the, and Caiaphas, the high priest, to them. But they became public proclaimers of Jesus, yeah. mm-hmm. willing to die for him. His half-brother, James, who was a, uh, uh, a bold skeptic, turns and becomes a leader of uh, the church in the heart of where all of this occurred in Jerusalem. That is a, an extraordinary conversion. Mm-hmm. Then you have Saul, who was persecuting, killing Christians, both women and children, and knowing he was a zealot, he was a Pharisee of Pharisees from the tribe of Benjamin in Philippians 3, to all of a sudden becoming the apostle writing most of the New Testament, proclaiming Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior. And also knowing that, and we don't have time on your guys' show, but Paul went and did a thorough investigation to ensure that what he believed was true, meeting with Peter and others and James in the heart of the city of, Jer- of Jerusalem, mm-hmm. 
Then there were many reports of Jews, priests, Romans even coming to know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, and other thousands of people, particularly on the day of Pentecost, which was 50 days after the resurrection, and over 3,000 people come to Christ. You don't make those things up in the heart of where all this controversy broke out. Yeah. And then finally, the end is the new life and message of Jesus Christ. The birth of Christianity comes from the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In the very city, as I said, of Jerusalem, Christianity is born. Jesus mm -hmm. is preached as a savior of the world. The Jews radically begin to worship Jesus on Sunday, no longer on Saturday. These people are invested, the Jewish customs and culture, their social structures were very meticulous to following the law. And now all of a sudden they're giving that up for something completely different. They're partaking of communion, which was viewed as something not only paganistic, but, but completely animistic. But they were partaking of communion and no longer abiding by the law, but they're abiding by grace. All the apostles, except for John, were martyred for their faith, and Christianity grows immensely around the world within 30 years after the resurrection of Jesus Christ in Rome. That is significant. Mm -hmm. Those are huge <laughs> evidences for the resurrection of Christ. I love the acrostic there. Of course, if you want to check out Jason's ministry, you can go do that as well. I encourage you to do that and find out where he's going to be speaking and about his book, The Bible's Answers to 100 uh, Tough Questions. Uh, excellent that he co-authored with Norm Geisler. We'll talk to him. We'll be back right after this. Skeptics and critics understand the magnitude of Jesus Christ's resurrection, and they've developed numerous theories in their desperate attempts to explain away the wealth of evidence supporting it. In Defense of Easter is a biblical and timely apologetic resource that teaches readers how history and archaeology support the resurrection, why skeptical explanations come up short, how the resurrection provides hope and comfort, and whether Easter is a pagan holiday. Equip yourself to answer today's skeptical challenges and strengthen your confidence in the risen Savior. Discover why our very salvation hinges on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. To order in defense of Easter, answering critical challenges to the resurrection of Jesus, visit us at creationstore.org. We're talking with Jason Jimenez of Reshift Ministries. And Jason, thanks for hanging out, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, man, this Thank has been you. great. Man, you just went through your acrostic, uh, risen, talking about all the different evidence. There is some amazing, compelling evidence. Uh -huh overwhelming evidence for an event that took place some 2,000 years ago. Uh, right. How does it strike you as you've studied all this and you've gone through this evidence? Does it, does it still shock you that people refuse to believe it? Well, of course it does, but and I got to be honest. I mean, I, I tend to be, I, I grew up in a Catholic family. And so when I was younger, I remember questioning like the Apocrypha and why do we pray oftentimes to Mary and why do we have to do these penance and petition, you know, petitions, et cetera, and confessions. So I found that even, and praise the Lord, you know, we got converted to Christianity uh, early on in life. But I, I, I'm usually a, a, um, a skeptic, you know, off the bat. Like I have to look at the evidence that we call, you know, basically, you know, in a nicer way, I'm an evidentialist. Uh -huh. And so when I, when I continue to go back, Eric, to the resurrection and look at the evidence, I am completely overwhelmed and totally convinced that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, mm -hmm. um, and but it it is daunting. I mean, in debates and having conversations with professors or young people or college students, 
Um, it's amazing that when they deny something and you just point blank ask them, well, what evidence do you have that disproves that Jesus Christ rose from the dead? And they say, well, there's no evidence to begin with. Yeah. So, for uh -huh. example, when I give them the risen and I take one each one, they said, oh, well, that's what you Christians came up with. You know, so wow. the, the sad reality is, and to be honest, I think a lot of atheists out there who debate on these issues, I think internally in their heart, they know that the evidence Absolutely. is so overwhelming, but they choose volitionally to yep. reject the mm -hmm. evidence that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no doubt about that. No yeah. doubt about that. I, there, I there was a statistic that <laughs> Gary Habermas uh, took. He took a survey and of 2,200 like 2, scholars yeah. and that were skeptic and non-skeptical, and 75% believed in the empty tomb account, and then that the disciples were changed after yeah witnessing Christ coming back from the dead. Yep. But that yeah, probably... his, like for example, his minimal uh, facts theory that he, he gives, uh -huh. um, along with you know, uh, Dr. Mike Lacona, mm -hmm. who's a good friend of all of ours, they, you know, they find that the, the skeptics believe those facts, that they're undeniable. Uh -huh. So in the process, they, they affirm them because they're undeniable. But they reject them personally because they would have to give up their lifestyle, their particular beliefs, and they're not willing to do Bam. it. Mm -hmm. that's and that's it. what it comes down to over and over and over. As, yep. as I study scripture, I go over and over. They don't want to believe. They are willingly ignorant. They would rather follow sin than rather than follow Christ. Mm -hmm. And that's what it comes down to. That's what it comes down to. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I think I brought this passage <laughs> up in the uh, in the episode. John chapter 1, uh, to me, makes it really clear. We got... Here, here we produce a show, and our goal is to go out and teach you guys this evidence, give you the facts, uh, clear hurdles out of people's path, allowing them to come to the cross, our apologetics. Really, it's all about leading to what we're discussing, the resurrection mm -hmm. of Jesus Christ. But they're never going to see the truth until they're born of God. Because mm -hmm. John 1, 12 and 13, uh, But as many as received them, to him gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. But they weren't born of blood, they weren't born of the flesh, they weren't born of the will of man. They're born of God. So it's just, from an apologetic standpoint, why do we go talk to them about this thing? What, well, what's... Yeah, well, see, and that's a great question, Eric, because like, like part of what we do, and I'm, I'm, my, one of my gifts as a, as a pastor, so to shepherd people, to equip the, the saints for the work of the ministry. Mm -hmm. and, and we know that we're all called under the Great Commission, the commandment of Jesus Christ, talking about after his post-resurrection, 40 days after, he declares that you are to go and to make disciples. Um, but in order to do that, though, apologetics is a vital key to a lot of things, or we call it really pre-evangelism. You're, you're kind of yeah. removing a lot of the obstacles, if you will, in front of people to consider, like I said, like me. I mean, I, I'm an evidentialist. I'm not, I don't just take things off of just this feeling because someone said, and it just felt good to me at the moment, so I just accept it and hopefully uh, pray that it's true. You want to look at the evidence, and so, uh, well, like you just said, but... Our role as an apologist or an evangelist is not to lead the person to Jesus. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Um, but we are called, though, to point them back to the truth of Jesus Christ. And so clearly if somebody has – and I've, I've talked to a lot of people, as you guys certainly have, that they just never knew. The other day, for example, uh, you know, me and, and, my, and my colleague, Alex McFarland, we were doing some filming, and we went to lunch with one of our producers, and I started to engage with a guy named Luis – uh, he and you know, and I just asked him point blank. I said, "Hey, can I ask you a question before we order food?" I said, "Do you believe in God?" And he says, "Yeah, I absolutely believe in God." I said, "Do you believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God?" 
And he says, yes, I do. And I say, explain yourself. Well, come to find out he is a Christian, but he's a nominal Christian, mm -hmm. and he has no fellowship, no community. And then afterwards, as we engage and talk with him, and I got him in, in touch with a pastor that he lives next to within, like, I guess, you know, 10 minutes or so, who's going to take him on and invite him to church, which is awesome. Uh, the, Luis told me afterwards, he said, you know what? He said, brother, he says, I appreciate you guys so much. He says, in all my life, I've never had anyone ask me any of the questions that you challenged wow. with, with me today. Oh, that God. is becoming more of the case here yes. in America. The guy was yes. born and raised in America. Wow. No one's ever asked him if he's a believer of God, which is, which is general. But then more specifically is if he knows Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Mm -hmm. So that is so important. God <laughs> chooses to use us to be his hands and feet yeah. to get the gospel message out to people and trust that the Holy Spirit, as he's moving on our hearts to minister to them, that he will convict their hearts that they will come to him. Mm -hmm. Man, that yes. is good. Guys, we are dealing with a world that does not know the truth. Please go out there and teach the truth. Oh, yes. that is so true. That is good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> I, I, we went through your risen, the resurrection. Uh, we talked about skeptics. I got I to gotta know. You believe in a literal resurrection. Yes. Do you believe, you're an apologist, <laughs> you travel and speak on this. Do you believe in a literal creation account? Like God literally made the 60. world like he said in Genesis. Oh, no. This is getting controversial now. Yeah, uh, I know. Here's where the rubber meets the road, man. <laughs> I don't know if I should say anything. Uh, yeah, here's the reality. The sad truth is that most of the people that I do minister with do not believe in a little creation. Uh, I do. I definitely do. believe that I'm a young earth. You know, um, uh, you know, I think thousands of years is old for the earth. Yeah. You know, so when people say, you know, you know well, yeah, when you're comparing millions of years to thousands, of course, thousands look young. But given the fact of the time in which creation was created, which we don't know, nobody was there, but a lot of the science proves that it, it could be a, you know, several thousand years. Yeah. So my point is, I am a definitely uh, a literal um, creationist, young earth creationist, because of, the, of not only the science, but that's secondary. The science it, you know, helps us explain what we see in the book of Genesis, for example, mm -hmm. yeah. and their hermeneutics. See, the problem that we have a lot today is people are letting outside sources of information yes. be the guide in which they interpret the Bible. So that's when we get the Schofield back in the day with the, with the gap theories, mm -hmm. the progressive creationist model where they take the days as, as a model of, uh, you know, to fit the Cambrian explosion and other right. means. And it's a, it's a completely disservice. Anybody knows in the right mind, if you study the uh, linguistically and hermeneutically Genesis 1 and 2, it is clear that the Bible uh, mentions, the, or not mentions, but describes, yeah. and keeping in mind the anthropic principle that as things were being developed and, and designed and created by the intelligent designer, i.e. God himself, uh, he was setting things in motion that, was, that could sustain life. And when it's not a model projected of millions of years, but right. they're days because we know not just from the yom, not just because the number numerically speaking, not because of the evening and morning as the Bible describes, uh, but throughout the entire Word of God, from the standpoints of Moses to the, to the Sabbath in Exodus 20, to even the teachings of Jesus Christ, all of them is in reference to a little creation, mm -hmm. but a literal sixth day, which obviously even practically speaking, we get our week from. And so it just, it's sad that a lot of Christians today, and I'll tell you one thing, you guys, as a pastor working in a lot of big churches around the, around West Coast and East Coast, 
This has always been an internal debate or a silent debate, even yeah. among pastors on staff. And you'll get one pastor teaching one view in class, and then you get another pastor teaching another view. And this is really sad because right out the gate, if we don't hold to a literal interpretation of the Bible, then anything goes for the rest mm-hmm. of the Bible. Yes. So I think that's very dangerous. Uh, and I've seen the devastation that's having in evangelicalism because people reject a literal uh, teaching of a six-day creation. Mm-hmm. Man. What are the reasons that, uh, I'm assuming you were taught old ages when you were younger. So what were the reasons that, that convinced you of the young age Besides it being six literal days, were there other scientific reasons too that the yeah, Lord was using to? Yeah, what was yeah. God using to help you see the scriptures well, true? Yeah, I think that's good. Here. I think if you if you hold to the inerrancy and the infallibility of Scripture, then you have to let Scripture interpret Scripture first and foremost. And so, first, as we know, is the Bible has to be our our ultimate standard, our ultimate guide to not only reason these things out, but come to a conclusion. So a clear hermeneutical teaching of Genesis 1 and 2, and like I said, other references of Scripture throughout the Bible, clearly teaches, and I've had professors through the years who've, who are masters in Hebrew and Greek and etc. all of us say there is absolutely no open debate to have it any other way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's key. Now, if we believe that the Bible is true, then we also believe that the Bible and science are compatible. Mm-hmm. We know the difference is theology and science. That's when you start getting into these right. different debates, where just like with with the young Earth and an old Earth, just like with creationism and evolution, um, that's the debate there. But when it comes to the pure teaching of the Bible, biblical doctrine and science, they go hand in hand. So I say, okay, if that's the case, then we should see evidence throughout that um, the Bible uh, has, uh, is, is only thousands, or the, the earth is only thousands of years old. And so, yeah, so when I, when I look at uh, the setting of the moon, when you look at the star formations, we we're talking about the redshift. Uh, um, I, I look at a lot of these different things. When you look at the, the fossil age, when you look at dinosaurs, I mean, obviously when, you, when you're dealing with this issue, you have to throw in the Genesis account, uh, the flood, and look at Genesis yep. 6. And if you're taking a literal creation model, then you're taking a little global flood and looking at mm-hmm. the accounts because, again, evolution comes in here. And a lot of people who want to hold the Bible and, and science, what they're really holding is they're holding the Bible and evolution. Yeah. So we call those people theistic evolutionists. And what they want to try to do is they want to try to look academic. They want to be accepting. They want to say, oh, of course, we as Christians, we hold to the science and we hold to evolution. Matter of fact, I just had uh, some people now that I was actually doing some Skype calls with and there was, we were doing a Q&A panel. And one of the guys on there said, hey, me and a pastor friend who's mentored me went to a conference. I'm not going to mention who that was on your show. I don't want to get you guys in trouble. But, you know, this is an evangelical group, and but all of them uh, are theistic evolutionists. Yeah. And they're trying to bring reason and science, faith and science together. And, and all the people that they have at the conference um, basically say that the Bible uh, itself evolves. Right. And so so when I when I see those kind of things, I see the danger of of not taking the Bible at its word. But when you start investigating other accounts of Scripture and then looking at the evidence uh, for that, I see uh, not just consistency, but I see verifiability, which just, again, enhances all the more 
that the Bible knows what it's talking about because it was written by a perfect, infallible God. Mm -hmm. Amen to that. Okay. Yes. Why then, and this is my first reading, I got my own kind of ideas on this, but why do so many apologists have bad hermeneutics when it comes to that beginning? I mean, you kind of answered it, but do you have any? Here, yeah, here's a reality, Eric. The reality is, again, and, and this, this is not a cheap shot to any of us. As Christians, we are here to bear one another's burdens, yes. to love each other. Mm -hmm. The Bible tells us that we are to strive together yeah. in one spirit. Uh, we worship one Lord. There's one faith. We know these, Ephesians 4, 4 through 6. But here's a reality. The reality is a lot of apologists out there today, um, they've learned pieces of Christianity. A lot of guys I found uh, in my career traveling this country is they, uh, they don't really uh, know good theology. They may have studied maybe philosophy, and they read some books, and they put some uh, uh, factoids together, if you will, and they're good at maybe arguing. So they're very scripted individuals, and they and they spend very okay. little time actually studying and growing in not only their knowledge and understanding of God's word, but making sure that the Bible is their guide through and through. And I found that to be the case. A lot of apologists are good at arguing, but they're very weak in theology. Wow, mm -hmm. that's a great point. Yeah. Great point. Okay, we Thank need one, we need another thing from you, man. <clears throat> yeah. One minute, and you'll probably take two. One minute. <laughs> give me a testimony. Maybe three. <laughs> hey, give me yeah. a testimony real quick. I'll give you a testimony. Okay, so obviously the Jimenez family, we grew up in a, in, a, in a Catholic family. My aunt came to Jesus in the early 80s, and she began to witness to my father and many of her other siblings. Mm. And by God's grace, my father accepted Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior and began to take that home, which is the power of a father in a home. And he began to help my mom see the light again, who was raised Baptist, but she, they went on the deep end. So he, they were doing drugs, they got, they, you know, they got pregnant out of wedlock, mm -hmm. and then they rushed into marriage at 17 and 18 years old. And, uh, but she starts coming back to the Lord, they wanna take us to church. I come to Christ, I'm baptized by, by 10 or 11 years old. Um, and then at, as I'm growing in our faith, uh, my mom was killed in a car accident when I was 15 years old. And I think that's really when I, I believed in God. I, I, I loved God. I, I really honored and revered his word for some reason. But after losing a mother killed instantly in a car accident, uh, I immediately cried out to the Lord and, and, wow. and said, Lord, my life is in, in your hands. And I pray that you would use me to take the message of this pain, but of also of your healing uh, to people uh, around the world. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, uh, unbeknownst to me, at 15 years old, that prayer was answered even then, and, wow. and, and God has been using me since. And I was uh, ordained as a pastor at 18 years old, wow. uh, reaching people on the south side of Tucson, a bunch of thugs and gangsters doing prison ministry. And then my whole heart from there was, I want to reach the family for you, Lord. I want to be able to help heal broken hearts. Wow. But using apologetics and, and ministry hand-in-hand hand together to help uh, overcome a lot of this biblical illiteracy that we see today. Wow. That is awesome, that man. Is that is really, really cool. Well, I thank am so you. glad you got to join us, man. Uh, just thank you for hanging out with us for a little while here. Yes. And yeah, it's I look fun. forward to, to meeting you in person someday. All right, man. Sounds good. Yeah. We'll go fishing in Florida. Hey, come <laughs> on, man. We got some. Dude, today is gorgeous outside, and we're in the studio, and I'm going, oh, man. We just said yeah, that earlier. It'd be a great day to be on a boat right now, uh -huh. man. Absolutely. Yeah. You well, come on over. You I'll take you out fishing. Awesome. That okay. sounds good. Awesome.
And then also um, oh, yeah, your yeah, book, the, your book, the Bible's Answers to 100 of Life's Biggest Questions. Too. Jason got to co-author with Norm Geisler. Do you realize that's who we're talking with? Wah! Yeah, yeah. So how long did it take to put this together? And like, what is the burden that you had? I mean, yeah, obviously. Well, it, it, it took about a year and a half, I think, really altogether to kind of put it together. And and the idea was, you know, I, I moved out to Charlotte, North Carolina for the sole purpose of learning from him. Mm -hmm. um, I, I just God laid that on my my wife and I in my heart. I was a big fan of his reading his books, and so I wanted to go to seminary. But I also wanted to learn from him personally. And the good news was, the church that I was a pastor at, uh, overseeing our family and student ministry, was the same church that Dr. Geyser attended. And so he and I became uh, <laughs> colleagues, and we started to do ministry together. And then when I resigned to start Reshift Ministries to reach more churches and families on a national level, um, he came alongside me and became an advisor and helped uh, edit a lot of my material and continue to pour into me and teach, make sure that my theology and philosophy and, and, and apologetics was strong. So one day when I finished one of my book projects, The Raging War of Ideas, uh, he said, what's your next project? Now here's coming from a guy who's written 94 books. Yeah. <laughs> and so he's always like, Jay, you gotta be writing, writing, writing. And so I told him, I said, well, as a pastor and as a father of four children, and certainly from you, Dr. Geyser, I said, I love Q and A's. I think they're very compelling. And in the day and age where, you know, there's a confusion, there's a lot of noise out there uh, in a soundbite, you know, tweet world, I said, I think we should really develop a resource book that really takes a lot of these questions that people have in all of these different areas of life and put it in a one-stop shop book. Mm -hmm. And I said, and I'm thinking about having the top 100. And he looked at me and he said, you know, you know, my wife, Barb's always been telling me for years I need to write a Q&A book. And so rather than me asking him to write, <laughs> oh, he asked me if he could write it with me. So I was like, That's what? awesome. <laughs> so, so anyway, so I, I, he and I sat and we just uh, over pizza, uh, we started to write out a bunch of questions and, uh, and, the, and we can say, you know, obviously the rest is history. That wow. is, and what I love about this book is I was <laughs> looking into it, your answers really are short and concise. You've got yeah. uh -huh. two page answers. Yeah. So the top 100 questions about Christianity, wow. I mean, what a resource to have at your, at your fingertips when somebody's got a question about, uh, well, your top questions here, would a loving God really send people to hell? That's one of the things we're talking about on yes. the Creation Today show. Oh, we should just copy his manuscript here. <laughs> Are science and the Bible compatible? What is truth? All these foundational mm -hmm. questions, and you've got short, very well yeah. thought out answers. It's not overwhelming. Exactly. It's, it's just one page or two pages. Yeah, and by the way, too, the key thing was, I think my pastoral heart is, to give application at the end, yes. but also provide resources that they uh -huh. can dig deeper in Bible verses, books, websites, DVDs. We also uh, collaborated with a dear friend of our, Bobby Conway, for the One Minute Apologist, and we yep. developed videos uh, because we're in a YouTube world. Yeah. And so people you know, who maybe don't like to read all the time, they can go check us out and see us answer the questions off the cuff in a very conversational, natural way on YouTube. So it was a way to provide a lot of resources and one book so that parents and family people and pastors can hand out a resource and not feel confused or overwhelmed. Mm -hmm. Yes. Beautiful. Yes, you did Man. an excellent job. Thank you. All right. Available on Kindle, YouTube, Amazon, <laughs> and where all great books are sold. Uh, the Bible's answer to 100 of life's biggest questions. Very cool, Jason. All right. Thank so uh, Marianne has an autographed copy of your book. <laughs>
I don't. <laughs> well, I'll, what I, I'll bring one when you take me fishing. Dude, there that's we a deal. go. That's a deal. <laughs> All right. Awesome. Like a good deal. Hey, so thanks yeah. for hanging out with us today, Jason. We so, appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, I had fun. Oh, Lord Jason, bless you guys in your ministry. Yeah, oh, your, ahead, your website address. Yeah, well, it's it's reshiftministries.org uh, is where they can find more information about me and, and the ministry. But also, if you don't mind, uh, I want to put a plug in. They can also go, and it's also, they can find it on our events page on Reshift Ministries, but standstrongtour.com. That's what I wanted to bring up. Yes, yeah, with you yeah. and Alex. Man, that is so cool. Yeah, me and Alex, and we actually are just rolling Stand out. Strong. We're just finishing right now working on a big project where our Stand Strong Tour will have six different Worldview Weekend series that we offer in college, in your faith, in your family, Stand Strong America, in your workplace, in your ministry. So we're going to have unique series that we're providing for different churches and organizations around the country. But Stand Strong Tour, we feel that the Holy Spirit's really pressed upon our heart to travel this nation to, again, as 1 Corinthians 16, 13 says, says, be watchful, stand strong yeah. in mm -hmm. your faith. And as Paul says in Ephesians 6, 10, stand in the mighty power of God. And yeah. Christians, mm -hmm. once again, in the day and age we're living today, they need to be emboldened again Absolutely. that they can stand strong in the Lord. And so that's the message that we're taking Amer to, to America. Mm -hmm. That's beautiful, man. Well, that's Dude, that is so cool. And it needs to be spread all over the place. Yes. All over the place. So people need to find out where those uh, where the cities are that you're going from yep. Stand, Tom, uh -huh. stand Strong Tour. Dot org and, uh, uh, yep. and go hang out with you guys for a weekend. Uh, that'd be great. Very, very cool. Thanks. All right, you guys. Okay. Hey, thanks so much, Jason. Thank you, All right, Jason. Lord bless you guys. Take care.